following program comes to you from podbean.com, the Syl Stein Author Channel with author Sylvia Stein. Here we go. Good morning. I am author Sylvia Stein. I hope you're doing well this happy Friday to everyone or this Friday, but happy Friday to everyone. I'm here today to bring you part one of what we call <clears throat> it's how to write dazzling dialogue, the fastest way to improve any manuscript. If you haven't gotten this book, I suggest you get it. It is a very great, it's a great book. And this book is, um, we're going to be covering it's by James Scott Bell. It's called How to Write Dazzling Dialogue: The Fastest Way to Improve Any Manuscript. As a you know, I've uh, as both an author and and an editor. You know, I'm doing an internship right now for editing, and I've also edited for other authors. It's very important to learn about how to improve your dialogue. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write you know, or work on something to help improve writers and authors that want to, you know, improve their dialogue. And I thought this was the best uh, way to kind of break it up. And I'm going to have three parts to it, maybe even more. But for today, I'm going to talk about a little bit about this book, which you can purchase on Amazon. And uh, I have the, today I'm using the Kindle copy I've ordered the paperback because, uh, like I said, I still like the paperback. But um, today we're going to start off with the How to Write Dazzling Dialogue, The Fastest Way to Improve Any Manuscript by James Scott Bell. I highly recommend it. And today we're going to talk about the what dialogue is and isn't. That's the section I'm going to cover today. I'm going to do my best to uh, cover this. And begin uh, here where it says what dialogue is so I'm going to start with that and I hope again everyone's doing well today the definition he says of dialogue that he likes best comes from a well-known playwright and screenwriter he says named John Howard Lawson uh, I might add uh, it, it says in this book theory and technique of playwriting Lawson states that dramatic dialogue should always be a compression and extension of action. Speaking, Lawson explains, comes from energy and not from inertia. Thus, dramatic speech serves as it does in life to broaden the scope of action. It organizes and extends what people do. It also intensifies the action. The emotion which people in a situation grows out of their sense of its scope and meaning. So if you think of speech as action, he says, it will keep you from writing soggy, inner inner dialogue 
speech is action reminds you that characters talk in fiction because they want to further their own ends. But he says, what if my character is into small talk? What if my character is just killing time? Then you have to know why she is killing time. Is she nervous about something? Hiding a secret? Trying to avoid the truth? That's what we want to know, right? So he says, it has something to do, it has to be something, or the dialogue is just taking up space. Every word, every phrase that comes out of a character's mouth is uttered because the character hopes it will further a purpose. The character has, in short, an agenda. And then he says, when I was on a board of directors once, he says, we had an officer who ran great meetings. First thing he did when he sat down at the table was to ask for an, for an agenda check. He'd take suggestions, decide which items were relevant, and then place them in priority order. <clears throat> he says, this always kept the meeting from being a grand waste of time. So the first secret of dazzling dialogue is to give your characters their own agenda checks in every scene. Then put those agendas in opposition. So this is a good point he's making here. Suppose you were writing, he says, a novel about a spoiled southern belle just before the start of the Civil War. In this story, the belle, let's call her Pansy, he says, has her heart set on marrying a certain gentleman. One problem, it has just been announced that this gentleman is going to marry someone else. Now Pansy must act quickly or lose her true love forever. She formulates a plan. There's a big barbecue coming up at the gentleman's ancestral home. Pansy decides to get him alone and force him to declare his love for her. That's how Margaret Mitchell set up, which, which I was going to say was Gone with the Wind. She also had the good sense to rename her character Scarlet. And so we come to the barbecue scene. Scarlet gets her ideal man, Ashley Wilkes, into the library. But then she talks. She uses her words as an extension and compression of action. She has an agenda. She's not subtle about it. She blurts it out. She blurts it right out. I love you. Now, what is Ashley's agenda? As a Southern gentleman with impeccable manners and a code of conduct, he must stop this sort of talk in its tracks. He does love Scarlet, but cannot say so or allow himself to dwell on it. So he tries to, he tries lighthearted banter. So this is what he says. Isn't it enough that you've already collected every other man's heart here today? But Scarlet does not back down. Ashley, Ashley, tell me. You must, oh, don't tease me now. Have I your heart? Oh, my dear, I love, uh, love. Ashley disrupts the outburst, he says, by putting his hand on her mouth. Now the contest begins in earnest. Here's the dialogue from that scene without any of the narrative parts. Now listen to the dialogue. It begins, you must not say those things, Scarlet. You mustn't. You don't mean them. You'll hate yourself for saying them and you'll hate me for hearing them. I couldn't ever hate you. I tell you I love you and I know you must care about me because Ashley, do you care? You do, don't you? Yes, I care, Scarlet. Can't we go away and forget we have ever said these things? No, I can't. What do you mean? Don't you want to, to marry me? I'm going to marry Melanie. Father is to announce the engagement tonight. We are to be married soon. I should have told you, but I thought you knew. I thought everyone knew. Had known for years. I never dreamed that you... 
You have so many, Bo. I thought Stuart, but you said you cared for me, my dear. Must you make make me say these? Say, my, I'm sorry, my dear. Must you make me say things that will hurt you? Scarlet continues to use words to try to convince him her love is better than Melanie's. When he doesn't bite, she switches tactics. I shall hate you till I die. When that doesn't get the job done, she stops talking, deciding that instead of a comp compression and extension of action, she'll use real action. She slaps Ashley across the face. Ashley walks out of the room. Scarlet, in a fit of pique, throws a porcelain bowl against the marble mantelpiece. A man's voice says, this is too much. Is that rogue from Charleston, Rhett Butler? And he was lying on the sofa, unseen as her scene with Ashley unfolded. It is bad enough to have an afternoon nap disturbed by such a passage as I've been forced to hear. But why should my life be in danger? Sir, you should have made known your presence. Indeed, but you were the intruder. Sir, you are no gentleman. And remember, when you are doing the dialogue, make sure to put the correct quotations in front of the quotes. As, as, uh, as I'm reading this, the quote and then end of quote. Always you need to present the, the beginning quote and the end of quote to these dialogues because otherwise it, it uh, disrupts the dialogue that you're trying to use. This is just my own notes that I'm adding. And then he says, begin a quote, it says, an apt observation, and you, miss, are no lady. And after and you, comma, miss, comma, are no lady, period, end of quote. The character of Red Butler brings a different agenda to the scene, one of gentle mockery. He wants to knock Scarlet off her horse. She, of course, wishes to stay there. This is the first and most important lesson in dazzling dialogue. Be clear on every character's agenda in a scene and the agendas in conflict. Before you write, just take, take just a moment to jot down what each character in the scene wants. Even if, as Kurt Vonnegut once said, he says, it is only a glass of water. For example, I will use a sample of my characters uh, on the, the, the recent book I'm working on. This is the prequel to Closure, The Diary of the Broken Father. This, I had an agenda of presenting Garrison's uh, point of view and his story. So most of what you see on, on the book, the agenda is about Garrison, about him going through the emotions of what closure, those of you that have read closure, it talks about his estrangement with his daughter, Sarah, and what happened. And a lot of readers did, a say, did ask me, well, you know, we would have liked to know what Garrison did during that time, like in more detail. So I created the agenda of created, presenting a dialogue that talked about like a diary that he has that he where he's going through his AA and of what he feels his close. You know, he had a, a broken relationship with, you know, with his church, with his God, with his daughter. And he's, you know, is trying to recover from it. So I presented that for my, mostly for this type of dialogue, which is mostly his thoughts, but th that was my agenda for that particular book. So I suggest in every book, like he says, 
be sure and be clear. Even if it's just a glass of water, he says, to, to make sure that that's the most important lesson. So, and then we go on to, <clears throat> excuse me, what dialogue isn't. Dialogue is not real life speech. This is what he says and makes very clear. It is stylized speech for which the author through the characters has a purpose. That's a crucial distinction. We don't want to merely capture reality in our fiction. We aren't filming a documentary. What we do is render something that feels real, but is intended to create a desired effect. Real life speech is me meandering and often boring. Fictional speech doesn't meander unless, of course, a character has a strong reason to run on and on. Dialogue is not the information superhighway. It's not to be used as a lazy way to give the reader information or a sermon on the author's view of the world. There are ways to do this, as you'll see further, in the, further on in this book. There are no unobtrusive. That's what he says. So that's the foundation for dazzling dialogue. It comes from a character who has an agenda and is directed toward another character who has an agenda. No matter how small or large the objectives, if they're in conflict, the dialogue will work. Let me show you with a short clip from one of the great dialogue movies of all time, All About Eve. That's one of my favorite films, by the way. So, you know, right now he, he touched up on, you know, um, Gone with the Wind and now All About Eve. So let's go into what he says. This is the story of Margot Channing, played by Bet Betty Davis, an aging Broadway diva and her young charge, Eve Harrington and Baxter. Prominent in the film is the narrator, the nasty witty and all-powerful critic Addison DeWitt, George Sanders, in an Oscar-winning role. In an early scene, Margot is throwing a party in her spacious New York apartment. She has been angry at DeWitt for subtly, subtly hinting that she's a bit too old for the role she's been playing. Thus, between the two of them, there's a snarky power struggle. De DeWitt has with him a commonly young woman named Miss Caswell, playing the film by Marilyn Monroe at her most Marilyn-ish, at her most Marilyn-ish. Regarding Miss Caswell, DeWitt's agenda is to not be too embarrassed to be seen with her. She's on his arm because he's betting her in return for doing her theatrical favors, like introducing her to famous producers. Here at the party, DeWitt doesn't want Miss Caswell to come off as too much of an airhead, lest his reputation as a social uh, Maven suffer. Miss Caswell's agenda is to integrate herself with the others, unaware that she sticks her foot in her mouth with virtually every line. And what is Eve's agenda? I shall not spoil the movie by telling you all about Eve. Perhaps you can begin to discern her agenda in the following. So let's read from the, from the movie. Margot to Addison. I distinctly remember striking your name from the guest list. What are you doing here? He says, Addison says, Dear Margot, you were an unforgettable Peter Pan. You must play it again soon. You remember Miss Caswell, Margot. I do not. How do you do? Miss Caswell, we never met. That's why. Addison, Miss Caswell is an actress, a graduate of Copa Cabana School of Dramatic Arts. His glance is attracted by Eve coming downstairs. Ah, Eve, Eve. Good evening, Mr. DeWitt. Margot, I had no idea you knew each other. Addison, this must, he says, this must be at long last our formal introduction. Until now, we have met only in passing. Miss Caswell, that's how you met me, in passing. 
Margot. Eve is an old friend of Mr. DeWitt's mother, Miss Caswell. Miss Harrington, Addison, I've been wanting you to meet Eve for the longest time. Addison, it could only have been your na natural timidity that kept you from mentioning it. Margot, you've heard of her great interest in the theater. Addison says, we have that in common. And Margot says, then you too must have, have must have a long talk, Eve. I'm afraid Mr. DeWitt would find me boring before too long. Miss Caswell, you won't bore him, honey. You won't even get to talk. Addison, my dear, come closer. Miss Caswell does and he points. There is a Max Fabian. He is a producer. Go do yourself some good. Miss Caswell, why do they always look like unhappy rabbits? Addison, because that is what they are. Now go and make him happy. The great script by Joseph I. Mac Mankiewicz works throughout because of all the characters. Every one of them is after something, and they are situated so that so that they may be, so that they may each be in conflict with the others at any time. He says, "This is the big secret of dazzling dialogue, but there's a whole lot more you can do to make it shine." So that's where we we covered today. Today we covered the importance of what dialogue is and what dialogue isn't. This is the first part of what I'm going to share with you in this book. And like I said, this is a, fa a very uh, great way to learn about dialogue by James Scott Bell. It's how to write dazzling dialogue, the fastest way to improve any manuscript. He gives samples in there and we're going to talk, dive more into those. For today, I just would like to leave you with you know, practice uh, what dialogue is, what dialogue isn't. Go into an agenda. Try to set up your characters for those that are that are tuning in. Um, write out your agenda of what you want, where you want your characters to go, and then think about. You know, if, if you haven't seen what uh, uh, all about Eve, try to go into that movie. Try to watch Gone with the Wind. Try to give yourself a sample of what you want to do and what you want to portray for your dialogue to start with. And this was part one of the, of, of the How to Write Dazzling Dialogue, The Fastest Way to Improve Any Manuscript by James Scott Bell. And if you like to purchase the book, they have it on, available on Amazon, at least, you know, Kindle. I'm sure it's available elsewhere. But, um, and if you like the paperback, like I also ordered, and I should be getting that soon, you know, you can also, you know, try to do some of the exercises because we'll be going into that on the next section. The next section we're going to cover is story weaving, the art of dialogue, and training for dialogue in the part two of what I hope to do for next week. Again, um, I really appreciate your time for you all. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, happy Friday to everyone. And again, this is author Sylvia Stein coming to you from potbean.com with your writing tips for today. You all have a wonderful one. And I hope you will tune in again for part two of this great uh, section on how to develop or how to write dazzling dialogue. Thank you very much. Y'all have a wonderful day.